couple weeks ago, I saw the event on my phone. There was cheering, and there was excitement, there were shouts of joy, and it all took place in our living room as we watched one of our sons take his very first steps. Um, probably tears and excitement, all of it. We were clapping, we were screaming, we were so excited, and maybe it was because of that, maybe he was scared, I'm not sure, but after he'd take about two steps, he'd stop, look around with a smile on his face, and then fall on his butt. And then he'd, he'd get back up and he'd take a couple more steps, and then he'd realize he was walking again, and he'd fall back down right, right on his butt all, all over again. And now I wonder if we made the right choice in teaching our boys to be so mobile. But at the time, there was a lot of a lot of joy and excitement with those very first steps that they had taken. You know, it's interesting how, how much we encouraged them and, and how much we were cheering them on and, and how much support and how excited we were as parents to see, to see our sons take their very first steps. And it's just a great reminder to us as I saw it on my phone as I was going through some pictures and that memory was brought back up to the forefront and I was able to to watch the video that I took of that a, a couple weeks ago and, and to relive the excitement of those first steps that, that our son had taken. It just reminds me that so much in life is, are things we, we have to learn. We have to learn. If, when you think about a newborn baby, you think that they have to learn pretty much everything. I mean, there's a couple things instinctively that God has wired, wired them to be able to do, but essentially it's the job of parents to come alongside their children and to teach them and to train them. And what's interesting is we spend a lot of time, especially when we have little kids, thinking about their development, thinking about all the things that they need to learn and they need to pick up on. But what's interesting is how we forget that sometimes along the way. And there's an interesting parallel between the physical aspect of somebody growing up and learning the lessons and spiritually. Because what's interesting is this. If, if you've made the decision to follow Jesus, I just want to encourage you, you are not a finished product. You're not a finished product. Now, don't misunderstand me. The minute you make the decision to follow Jesus, your salvation is, is final and it's done. But there is a work that God wants to do within you for the rest of your life. And that work is to make you less like you and more like Jesus. And that is a work that will continue in you for the rest of your life. And this was an idea that the Apostle Paul wanted to share with the church of Thessalonica. If you're just joining us for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians. So if you have your phones or your tablets, we'd invite you to follow along with us there. We'll be looking today at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But it was a church in Thessalonica of people who just made the decision to follow Jesus. And then after they made the decision to follow Jesus, they experienced really hard times. And during this time of hardship, they started to ask questions. They weren't really sure of what they needed to do. And so the Apostle Paul wrote them a letter, and we've been looking at that over the course of the last few weeks. And today we continue that look, starting with this idea of taking the next step. So if you join us, we begin in 1 Thessalonians 4.1, where we read these words, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, 
that you do so more and more. But he says, we had to teach you how to walk. We had to teach you how to walk. And if you're new, especially if you're new to the faith, if you've just made a decision to follow Jesus, I just want to encourage you, don't beat yourself up because you don't feel like you're where you want to be. Understand that this is a process that God is going to be doing within your life for the rest of your life, and you're never going to have fully arrived. But if you feel like as you've made the decision to follow Jesus, and now you look around you and you see other people who are further along in their faith journey, or you just even see the way that God's working within your heart and within your life, and you just had this desire to know more or to honor God more with your life, and you feel like you're still making some of the same decisions you wish you wouldn't make, but you're still making them, and you're not really sure why, don't beat yourself up. Don't beat yourself up. And understand that this is a process that is natural, and this is a process that God is doing within your life. In the same way you don't expect a a toddler to run a marathon, you need to give yourself some grace and understand that this is a process that God is doing, not just within you, but God is doing within everybody who follows him. And I just want to encourage you, keep it up. Keep it up. Keep going. And that's what the Apostle Paul writes here to the church in in Thessalonica. He says, keep it up. Keep doing what you've been doing. Keep living a life that honors God. Are you where you need to be? No. And we're going to talk about that in a couple minutes. Are you a finished product? No. We're going to see that. But keep doing what you're doing. Keep it up. And this is also also a, a call for us to to be involved, for those of us who followed Jesus longer, for us to be involved in the lives of others, that we would mentor them, that we would come alongside of them, that we would encourage them, that we could be a resource to them. And nobody who makes the decision to follow Jesus should ever walk through life isolated and alone. And he says, you looked at us and we taught you what to do, and you are doing it. Great job. Keep it up. So if you're new to the faith, don't beat yourself up. Keep becoming more and more like Jesus. Understand it's not a sprint. It's going to be a lifelong process. Give yourself some grace. Realize where you are in your spiritual journey and have people who you trust and who love Jesus in your life who can be there to encourage you and help you along the way. But I just want to encourage you, don't beat yourself up. Give yourself some grace and keep going. And then it continues, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now, I just want to break this down. Uh, he says, we told, you, we told you what to do. And the reason that we told you is because sanctification isn't instant. It's a process. Now, this idea of sanctification, just to, to, just to make it very simple, it's a fancy word. But what it means is the process of God working in your life to make you less like you and more like Jesus. That's the end result that all of us who follow Jesus would have our lives look more and more like Jesus and less and less like us. Because all of us have within us areas of our lives that that do not honor God. And, And those areas come naturally to us. And so God has to work on areas in all of our lives in the process of sanctification. And again, that's just a fancy word for God working within us and making our lives look more like Jesus and less like us. It isn't It isn't instantaneous. Oftentimes it isn't easy, but it is a process that God does and and wants to do in every life of everyone who follows Jesus. 
And the further you get, the further you get, and the closer you grow to God, the more you realize how far you have to go. That's one of the, that's one of the interesting things about sanctification, is the closer you get to becoming like Jesus, the more you realize how far you truly have to go. But he says, we told you what to do because we want to see this process happening in your lives. We want to see you become more and more like Jesus, whom you've put your faith and your trust in and you've given your life to. So make sure that your life now models the one that you are following. And how do you do that? What, are, what is a specific way that you can do that? And he introduces this concept for us in the remainder of verse 3 through verse 5. And here's what he tells us. Here's what is key. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So what he says is your natural inclination is to pursue whatever passion you desire. Your natural inclination is for whatever feels good for you to pursue it and for you to go after that. And that's certainly the message of our culture today. If it brings you fulfillment, if it brings you satisfaction, go for it. Do whatever brings you joy. Do whatever you desire. But here we're told a a different idea. And here we're told a superior idea. And this idea is that there are going to be times that we have to die to our natural desires. And there are going to be inclinations that we have that that would seemingly feel good on the surface, but ultimately do not bring about joy and fulfillment because they go outside of God's design and God's standard for sexual intimacy. And he says this is a key. This is a key for you. If you're going to keep doing what, what we want you to do, Not because we're prudes, not because we want to keep something from you, but if you're going to keep doing what what we want you to do, and that's become more like Jesus, then you are going to have to honor God with every area of your life, even the most intimate. And you are going to have to elevate God's plan above your desires. And this is so countercultural. In in our day, and it was so countercultural in the day it was written. But this is what's interesting. Is that we cannot divorce our sexuality from our spirituality. We cannot divorce our sexuality from our spirituality. That God is the one who's designed us with sexual desires. God is the one who designed us entirely. And with, within God's design, sex is good, and it's, it's a gift that God has given us. But if we try to divorce our sexual desires away from our spirituality, and if we try to operate outside of that, we're, it's an incomplete picture, and it's never going to work. This is why if, if you're struggling with this issue and you've just tried to divorce it and you've just tried to turn it into a sexual issue and not a spiritual issue, You're never going to arrive where you want to arrive because you can't attack sexual sin and desires purely from a physical standpoint. It's more than just physical. You must factor in the spiritual aspect of this as well if you want to ultimately be successful in this. And he goes on and he says this, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. 
because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. He says, don't take advantage of others in this realm. Don't take advantage of others in this realm. And if you step outside of God's standard and God's mandate, and the reason for God's standard and the reason for God's mandate is the same reason for every other standard and mandate that God gives us. And that's because God wants us to live the most fulfilling, the most satisfied lives. He wants us to live lives that bring us joy and that aren't full of regret and aren't full of angst and aren't full of bitterness and aren't full of anger. And every single time we step outside of God's plan for our lives, whether it's sexually or any other way, every single time we invite bitterness and angst and anger and hurt and regret into our lives. And that is why God is created standards, and given us safeguards so that when we operate our lives according to his standards and according to his safeguards, we won't experience those things. God doesn't want us to experience those things. But the lie of the enemy comes and he says, well, God's holding out on you. God's holding back something that's better. And it's the same lie we see throughout scripture. And it's the same lie we've all been told in numerous aspects of our lives that there is greater joy in their there's greater fulfillment and there's greater promise apart from the standards of God. And that's always, that's always where the temptation comes and it's always what temptation sells us. But every single time we buy it, it's proven to be false. Every single time. And he says, God will handle it. And God has called us to live lives of holiness. God has called us as those who follow Jesus to make sure that every area of our lives, even the most intimate areas of our lives, align with God's standard and God's plan for our lives. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. He says, don't ignore these themes. Don't ignore these themes because of your desires. Honor God in every area of your life. And there are going to be times where you don't want to. And there are going to be times where you're told it's better if you don't. And you're, you're going to have desires. He says, honor God. Honor God with your desires and follow his plan in every area of your life, including the most intimate areas of your life. But if you're like a lot of people, this hasn't always been true. And if you're like most of us, there are, there are regrets that you carry. Because you've stepped outside of this plan because of desires that you don't even fully know how to, how to communicate and certainly wouldn't want on display for anybody else to know. But if you're like most, you carry regret. And you may read these words and think, oh no, what am I supposed to do now? So I want to draw your attention to somebody. He was somebody who was pretty insignificant in his family. 
didn't really matter much. But he mattered a lot to God. So much so that he rose from the ranks of his family who kind of dismissed him and didn't think very much about him to become king. His family couldn't believe it. The people around him couldn't believe it. But that was God's plan. His name was David. And he was described this way. A man after God's own heart. After he became king, there was a battle that he should have been at. But he wasn't. And one of the commanders in his army, well, his wife was back home. And David saw her. And he decided to follow after his desires. And after they had a relationship, he decided, your husband's going to kind of get in the way. And so he had him killed. Now David would be shown the, the gravity of his sin. And he would repent. And it's spelled out for all of us to read in Psalm 51. And God would forgive him. And you know what's interesting? That even in light of the fact that he had adultery and he had her husband killed, you know how David's described in the New Testament? Hundreds of years later, as a man after God's own heart. Now, his sin cost him. But I want to encourage you, as it will always cost all of us, that God does not allow our pasts to be what define us solely. And if you carry regrets, and if you carry hurt, and if you carry shame, you don't have to carry that anymore. There is forgiveness and there is grace that is available to you. And your past doesn't have to be the soul-defining characteristic of your life. And the enemy wants nothing more than for you to live in a self-imposed prison because of your past mistakes, telling you you'll never measure up, and you're not good enough, and you've, you've messed up too big for God to ever be able to do something really big in your life. But the hope of God is that there is grace and it's available to each of us. And our past doesn't get 
the last word. And it doesn't get to define us. So I just want to encourage you, stop living in a prison because of your regret. If you find yourself in a place today where desire is what's winning, and you know it shouldn't, you know you need to surrender that to God, and you know that you need to honor God even though the desire is real and it's there. You must die to that desire and stop letting it win. Understand it's more than just an issue of sexuality. Understand it is a spiritual issue as well. It's not just a physical desire. This is a spiritual issue as well. And we need to honor God in every aspect of our lives. So don't continue to allow your desire to just win over and over and over again. You need to fight it and understand that it is a spiritual issue. And you might need to talk to a counselor or a pastor or a really trusted friend. But don't let the past define you. Don't believe that God can't forgive you or do something in your life as a result of mistakes that you've made. There is forgiveness and there is grace. And it's available to each of us. He continues, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. He says, while we warn you, while we warn you about glorifying God with your sexuality, we want to commend you for how well you love others. We're warning you this area of your life, but we want to commend you for how well you are in the fact that you love others. And that is a defining characteristic of your life, that you love each other and you love each other so well. And we just want to tell you, well done. We want to commend you on that and tell you, great job. And he goes on, but we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. And to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. He says this is key. Keep loving each other. Keep loving each other. You're doing a great job, but you need to keep it up. Keep loving one another. And what are some tangible ways that you can do that? Well, first, mind your own business. Mind your own business. Keep your head down. Don't worry about everybody else's life. Worry about yourself. Worry about yourself. Mind your own business and be a hard worker. Work really hard. These are great ways that you can love, that you can love others. Love them. Make the choice. I'm going to love people. And a couple ways that you can easily do that is refuse gossip. Refuse to believe the worst in people. Keep your head down. Worry about yourself. Love everybody that you encounter. And be a hard worker. Whatever you, whatever you take on, do to the best of your ability. And just work really hard. That will enhance the relationships in your life. And it will also enhance your ability to show people Jesus, that you would be a passionate person and whatever you take on, you do to the best of your ability that you work really hard at it. So it says, we've taught you. 
We've taught you how to live. And you've looked at us and you're taking the right steps. We want to caution you. We want to caution you. Make sure you're honoring God in every area of your life. Every area of your life needs to honor God. There is, no, there is no part of your life that can be divorced from any others. You need to honor God in every aspect of your life, even the most intimate aspects of your life, but honor God everywhere and love each other and love each other well. Keep your head down. Believe the best in each other. Don't gossip about people. Don't be constantly worried about what's going on in their lives to the point you're just, you just want to know because you just want to see. No, be, keep your head down. Mind your own business and work really hard. These are the keys. These are the keys for how you can live the life that God wants you to live. And then he introduces this concept in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So he writes, now that we've discussed how to live a good life, now that we've discussed how to live an honoring life to God, let's understand that death is part of this process. That death is part of living. And he says, we don't do this to discourage you. We don't do this to bring you down. We don't do this to just kill all the momentum that we had in talking about life. We do this ultimately to provide you hope. How's that possible? Because all of us who've experienced death of a friend or family member understand the loss and the grief that comes. And that grief is natural. And the reason that it exists is because death in its current form is, is foreign to God's original plan. When we go all the way back to God's original design of Adam and Eve in the garden, what we see is there was no death. There was no death in God's original design until sin came and entered the world. And with it brought consequences. Which means every death, every death is ultimately the result of sin. In this world, in the fact that we do not operate according to God's original design. But the reason that there's loss and the reason that there's grief with death is because it's foreign to the way that we were originally designed by God. We are designed as eternal souls to live forever. And so this idea of separation, this idea of death is completely foreign to that design. That is why it hurts. But he says, we don't want you to grieve as though you have no hope. Understand that even though this hurts, even though there is loss and there is separation, which is a natural part of the dying process, because again, it's foreign to God's original plan. Even though all of that exists, we want you to understand that you can still have hope even when this is brought into the equation. And how is that possible? Well, he tells us, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. He says death isn't victorious. Death doesn't get the final word. 
There is resurrection. And our, res- and our certainty of that resurrection is the same certainty we have of the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross and three days later rose again, proving He was victorious over death. He was victorious over sin. And God is greater. Now there is resurrection. And the fact that we who follow Jesus can grieve when somebody dies, but we grieve with hope. This is possible because we have the same certainty that we have resurrection for those who follow Jesus that we will live forever because of the promise of God and the reason that we have that certainty and the reason that we have that hope is because we saw it in Jesus who died on the cross rose three days later and proved that he was victorious over death he was was seen by over 500 Hundred witnesses, over 500 different people gave eyewitness accounts to the fact that Jesus indeed had rose from the dead. So it is with that certainty that Jesus is victorious that we can be certain that death is not victorious for those who follow Jesus. That is our hope. And he goes on and he says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And this is a supernatural scene that is yet to come. This is the concept of the rapture that you may have heard about where Jesus comes down in the clouds and there's a trumpet, there's some kind of sound, and the dead in Christ, they rise first. And then those who are still alive, still living, they are caught up in the air. And there can be a lot of disagreement people argue about when does this happen does this happen before a period of time of the tribulation does it happen in the middle of a tribulation does this happen at the end of the tribulation and people can people can debate that and it can be fun to debate and people can can wrestle with various ideas of this but in your debate and you're trying to understand that don't miss the main theme don't miss the main point and that being that it is our hope of being with Jesus forevermore that is ultimately what really matters and yet you can have all kinds of discussions about when this is going to happen and when it's going to occur. But don't miss the main theme while you're having all those discussions and that whenever it happens and whenever it occurs, the end result is that we will be with Jesus forevermore and gone will be this idea of death. God will wipe it away once and forevermore and we will live eternally with our Creator. So we can experience hope. And then he says this to close out the chapter. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. So make that your focus. Make that your focus. We came into your life because we understand that the spiritual process, a lot like a like a the physical process, like a newborn baby, that when somebody makes the decision to follow Jesus, they're a baby spiritually. And they need people to care for them. They need people to come alongside of them. They need people to help them, to help them grow, to help them know how to, how to walk, and to, to know what next steps to take. And we were those people for you. 
So if you've made the decision to follow Jesus and you've grown in your faith, be on the lookout for people that you can come alongside and that you can mentor. And understand that part of this process in all of our lives, part of the process of us growing to be more like Jesus, and how do we do that? We do that by engaging with Scripture. We do that by praying with God. We do that by having mentoring relationships where people pour into our lives, and they tell us things, and they, they show us things. But we're Americans, and so we bristle at some of this some of these concepts and some of these ideas that anybody would tell us there's not something right with us. We don't like that. We don't like to be told that we're not good enough. We don't like to be told that there's things that we need to improve upon. We give every kid a trophy, and I know some of you love that, and that's fine. I despise everything about it because at our core, what we've got to understand is we all have to grow and develop. And the core message of the gospel is that we're not okay. That's the core message. If we were all great, why would we need Jesus? The core message is we're not. But God still loves us anyway. And God loves us so much that He still desires a relationship with us that's available to us. And when we make that decision... We have to take those next steps, and we have to grow. And that's not always an easy process. It's not always a fast process, but it's a process that God wants us to make nevertheless. And God wants every aspect of our lives, even the most intimate. And we need to turn every area of our lives over to Him and honor God with everything about our lives. And we need to love each other. We need to love each other. One of the ways that we do that is we just mind our own business. We worry about ourselves. I mean, how many of us as a kid growing up with a sibling were just wait to watch them do something that we knew they weren't supposed to do, but mom and dad weren't around to witness it? And I, in my near perfection, would witness my older sister doing something she shouldn't be doing and it was my obligation to make sure that my parents knew. I didn't take any delight in saying, Mom, 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 guess what Heather's doing? And my mom would always come back with this statement, worry about yourself, Brian. Worry about yourself. What a way for us to live where we keep our heads down, we don't gossip about other people, we refuse to believe the worst in other people, and we just worry about ourselves. And we love people that we encounter. And we worry about staying in our lane and just everybody that we encounter showing love and goodness towards. And whatever, God, whatever passions God has put within our lives that we work really hard at. I had a middle school teacher tell us one time, if you want to get ahead in life, just work hard. Just work hard, because most people won't. Just work hard at whatever passion God has given us, that we would just say, I want to do that to the best of my ability, and leverage that effort to bless other people, and leverage that effort to show them Jesus in the process. And to live our lives not being scared of death, but with hope 
that while none of us want to experience the process of dying, we can walk through life with certainty, with the same certainty we have that Jesus rose from the dead, that death will not define us. So we do not have to live defeated. And that we would come alongside each other and encourage one another with these words. That is the life that God has called us to lead. And as his followers, that's the life we must strive to live. God, I pray that each and every one of us who's made the decision to follow you would be invested in others' lives. That we'd come alongside of them and, and we'd help them grow closer to you. And God, that we wouldn't lose sight of the own areas in our lives that we need to make sure that we're becoming more like you in. So God, our prayer is that you'd make us more like Jesus. I pray for the person here, God. I pray for the person watching on the stream who's in a self-imposed prison of regret, who's made mistakes, who feels like there's no one they can talk to, there's nothing they can do. beats themselves up. And I pray, God, that they would experience your grace fresh and anew. I pray that they would no longer allow the enemy to have the final word. I pray that they wouldn't believe his lies any longer. And I pray, God, that they would just experience your grace and the freedom that comes with it. I pray, God, we would love each other in a way that's infectious for all to see and experience. We'd mind our own business. We'd refuse to gossip. We'd refuse to believe the worst. We'd choose to believe the best. And we choose to give love to everyone that we encounter. I pray that in times of uncertainty, when death comes near, that we wouldn't grieve as though there is no hope for those who have Jesus. God, you would remind us that you're greater than death. You're greater than any circumstance we face. And that you are victorious. May our lives look more and more like you each and every day, Jesus. You are our hope. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.